Thanks so much, Selena. Uh, good morning. My name's uh, Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and uh, as Andy already flagged, we're thinking about missions. I'm the uh, one of the titles I wear is a mission pastor. Doesn't mean I'm an expert at mission, but uh, I'm someone on the staff team who's trying to champion and get to be thinking how we can be doing that well here as a church in Wellington. Um, and how about I pray, and then we're going to watch a video to get us thinking in this space, space of mission. So would you pray with me? Father, we give you great thanks for Jesus. We give you great thanks that we have his words here in front of us today. We pray that his words would do a mighty work in our heart to grasp how great he is and to, to grasp that a world uh, does not know you. And so, Father, I pray that you do a work in us, that we would have your heart for the lost and that we would be going out of here on mission for Jesus. In his mighty name I pray. Amen. Well, take a look at this video. Well, Church on the Hill, these two ladies are the founding doctor and nurse for the medical clinic where we work in the south of the country. And I just want to quickly show you through it so you know where we live and work. This is a this is one of the doctors treating some patients. This is one of the doctors and the receptionist. And this is why we call it the clinic on the hill, because this is the view that we have. A fantastic view looking over one of the tourist attractions of the country and this is the small village where we work we live in the house here we've been living there on and off for the last nine years we're quite high up here at about 5,000 feet so in the winter it gets bitterly bitterly cold but in the summer it's quite a Quite a pleasant temperature because although it's hot, it can get up to about 40, 40 degrees, there's a constant wind and that cools us down. So this is what the road going down to the south of the country. But this is the clinic. And it works on a Friday because there's not a permanent doctor here. So we just got a doctor who comes down from one of the local towns. And this is, this is the platform from which we share the good news. We have to have a reason for being here. And this is the reason that uh, we're here officially, but you know why we're here. It's for the spiritual benefit of the people. Uh, my bad. I should have flagged uh, that those guys are like a, one of our mission partners here uh, at Sioni Hill, so Rob and Gillian Burridge. Uh, but what a quite a confronting video, right? Uh, and I reckon it begs the question, what would cause a middle-class family to leave England and to move to a remote village like that? 
What would cause Rob, suddenly there's a picture of the, of the family up here as well. What would cause Rob uh, to give up a successful career in a comfortable hospital and to move to the desert, to this little tiny field hospital? What would cause them to send their kids away to boarding schools all around Europe and to remain there? It's, it's unbelievable. What would cause someone to do that? What would possess them to make that kind of decision? You know what I reckon the answer is? I think we find it in our passage today. I reckon those guys have been gripped and changed to the core by Jesus' words at the end of Matthew 28. Jesus' words here at the end of what we had read are his last words spoken to his disciples, recorded for us in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, And despite how brief his words are, his words are incredibly powerful. His words change the lives who take them to heart in unbelievable ways. Put it this way, if you're here today, it's a direct result of these words. Someone at some point brought you along to church to hear about Jesus. If you've been invited by someone here today, they've brought you along so you can hear about Jesus. Jesus' speech here at the end of Matthew's Gospel is life-changing, like no other words in history. Look at me again at those words from verse 18. Uh, Jesus says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. This teaching from Jesus is the heartbeat of what it is to be a Christian. Jesus says here his mission for the church. This is what we are to do. Actually, even deeper than that, this is who we are to be. To be a Christian is to be on mission for Jesus. This isn't like an optional extra for some of us. A wholehearted follower of Jesus is on mission for him. A wholehearted follower is actually gripped and changed to the core by these words. And so a question to ask then is, have these words gripped and changed your life? I reckon, I reckon for a lot of us here today, these words, they're not new words. Probably, you know, if you would ask some of you, oh, what's Paul going to be preaching on, on mission? You probably might have said even this passage. And despite how clear Jesus' words are here, and even how simple they seem, I think most of us, we don't find his words easy. I think most of us would say evangelism, the act of proclaiming the good news of Jesus, we'd say, actually, that's hard work. Even Andy flagged that, didn't he, in the interview here. Most of us would say it's hard. I've heard it said, uh, as a quote, evangelism is one of the few spiritual topics Christians and non-Christians, I think there's a quote up here, agree upon uh, in its entirety. Non-Christians don't like hearing it. Christians don't like doing it. So it'd just be much easier for everyone if we all just agreed not to bother at all. I wonder if that, that quote resonates with you. You know, I think a lot of us could come up with a whole plethora of reasons why we don't want to talk to others about Jesus. Maybe you can recall times when you've just completely botched it, or you put your foot in your mouth when trying to tell someone about Jesus. Maybe you're afraid of the, the hostile or harsh response someone might, might have if you were just even to bring up the name of Jesus. I reckon that's where I sit a lot of the time. I'm often afraid of how people will respond. Even a few weeks back, I was going for a run with a mate. Uh, this guy was moving back to Scotland. And so I thought, you know, this is probably the last time I'll actually even be able to see him in person and talk to him about Jesus. Went for an hour run. Uh, you know, 
Uh, he even brought up church. He knows I'm a minister. I said a few brief comments, then quickly changed the subject. I was too afraid of how he'd respond. You know what? That, that, that memory, still, I'm still kicking myself for that day, right? I think it can be so easy for us as a church and individuals to, to lose heart and to, you know, just stop talking about Jesus altogether. But that's not what Jesus has called us to. Wholehearted followers of him are on mission for him. I reckon most of us, we know this. We know it in our head that actually we're meant to be on mission. But I think we've lost heart of the why, why we should be on mission. Maybe we don't think people need saving. Maybe we look at around and think, man, society, you know, it's, it's trending in the, in the positive, right? People are actually generally pretty good. Or maybe we look at our friends' lives and go, man, they've got it all together. What's Jesus going to add to their life? Or maybe we actually don't really believe the Bible's teaching on hell and that our friends are heading there if they don't know Jesus. Whatever it is, whatever is stopping us on mission for Jesus, today we're going to unpack his words. We're going to unpack these life-changing words and see actually what being on mission for him looks like. Jesus is going to show us three truths. He's going to show us the what, the how, and the why of mission. He's going to show us what we're called to do, how we're to do it, and most importantly, why. But before we dig into his speech, into these words, actually it's helpful to to see the context of the whole uh, passage, what surrounds them. So have a look there with me at verse 1 again of chapter 28. It says this, After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. The context of Jesus' words here at the end of Matthew 28 is his death. Jesus has been crucified. His friends have run away. And do you see who remains there, though? These women. These women go to the tomb to anoint his body. They get there. The stone's been rolled away. And then an angel appears and says, you know, Jesus isn't here. He's alive. They run away from the tomb. And uh, on the way, who do they bump into? Jesus. Do you see it there? They're on their way and he appears before them. And now, can you imagine being in those women's sandals? Can you imagine it for a moment? These women, only a few days earlier, had seen Jesus die. They'd seen him take his last breath. And then there he is, standing in front of them, and he just says, greetings. Or in other words, how are you guys going? Now this, this is truly incredible. Jesus physically rose from the dead and appeared to these women. No one else in history has ever done this but Jesus. And now the risen and death-defeating Jesus tells his followers his mission for the world. And the first thing he wants them to know, the first thing he wants us to know is the what of mission. So let's, let's have a look. What are we called to do at mission? Let's have a look at verse 19. Jesus says this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Well, if we're on mission for Jesus, what does it look like? What are we called to do? We're called to make disciples. It's worth noting here, Jesus isn't in the business of making suggestions. You know, like if I were to ask my kids to to clean their room or pick up their toys, uh, they hear me say, if you want, can you clean your room? If you want, can you, you pick up uh, your toys. My kids hear my words and they hear a suggestion 
or a hint. Jesus is not like that. Jesus is a commandment-giving saviour. He says, if you're a disciple of mine, you're in the business of making disciples. And so then a fair enough question is then, what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who hears, understands, and continues to obey Jesus' teaching. Literally, the word disciple means learner. It means someone who seeks to learn, obey, and follow Jesus. So Jesus is saying to us here this morning, those of us who are disciples of his, those of us who have heard and understood his words, we're to be involved in making other disciples. To be a disciple is to be a disciple maker. Now, what does it look like to make disciples? Is it kind of like baking a cake? You know, you just get the formula down and you'll just pump out all these disciples. Is it just about, you know, the church running the right course and that's how you make disciples? Is it just about learning some kind of method, you know, to persuade and convince people about Jesus? No, it's not any of those things. It isn't by our powers of persuasion or a program that's rolled out. It's not about us, but it's about the person we proclaim. Someone becomes a disciple through the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's the only way someone can be saved. It's by trusting in his death and his resurrection to save them from their sins. Making disciples is always about proclaiming the person and work of Jesus. It's about proclaiming him as God. And it's about proclaiming that he died and rose from the grave to save us. It's by the message of Jesus, disciples are made. And how does someone hear this message? Well, usually it's by us sharing the message of Jesus. I wonder what kind of news do you like to share with others? I think for myself, it's usually life-changing news. It's the kind of thing, you know, I don't post much on Facebook. It's the kind of things that I would post on there. Like the news of when I got engaged to Mel, I didn't post on Facebook, but I remember getting on the phone and calling up mates and saying, hey, you know, she said yes. It's like the, the day I had our first child. I remember, uh, you know, going to the shops, picking up some things after Eva had been born, and I just wanted to go up to random strangers and say, hey, you know, I became a dad. I, could, I couldn't help but want to share this life-changing moment for me and my wife. Now, if you're someone here who trusts in Jesus, we've got life-changing news to share. Actually, we've got eternity-changing news. We've got the news that Jesus, God as a man, came into the world to die in our place. But he didn't stay dead. He rose and now offers us life with him for all eternity. Sharing that news is what makes disciples. And did you see the scope of this mission? Do you see how far and wide Jesus wants us to share it? He said, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus kind of wants us to, you know, crack out the sky rider and, and blaze it in the sky so that everyone knows about him. Now, this, this global scope of, of Jesus' mission, it, it would have been quite a shock uh, for the disciples hearing it. It would have shocked them because they were Jewish. And up to that point in Jewish history, they, the Jews had thought God's interests and his intentions were exclusively for them. 
But Jesus here, he's saying he's saving plan and his purposes are are extended to no longer calling just the Jew, but the Samaritan, the Roman, the Greek, the New Zealander, the Australian, the Samoan, even the American, the Chinese. Jesus' mission is for all people everywhere to come to hear and obey him. Now, this would have been a shock back then, but it's even shocking for our world today because Jesus here is making the claim of exclusivity. Jesus is saying, go to every nation, every culture. I don't care who the prime minister is. I don't care what their cultural or religious practices are. Go there and make disciples of me. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, what right does Jesus have to say that? Who is this guy? How how can he make that kind of claim? Well, have a look there at verse 18 with me. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Authority means, you know, power, privilege, the the kind of permission to act and and do things in certain ways. We give, uh, you know, policemen some authority. We give doctors some authority. We give politicians authority. Here, Jesus is saying, all authority has been given to me. And we see glimpses of Jesus' authority in his life. You know, he was able to to calm a storm in an instant. He was able to heal sickness. He was able to make the the blind see, the lame walk, the, the leper clean. But now the resurrected Jesus... The one who has power over death and sin is giving all authority. Now, imagine with me for a moment if you were to, you know, crack out your phone and open up the the Google Maps app and, uh, you know, you were to start scrolling out. You're there in the streets of Wellington. You scroll out and you can see all of New Zealand. You keep scrolling and you start to be able to see the whole world. Uh, And then you keep scrolling. Imagine you could do this. And then you can see the whole universe. Now, the thing to know is there's not one millimetre from the streets of Wellington to the farthest universe that Jesus hasn't said, that's mine. The reason Jesus has authority over it all, and he wants all people everywhere to come to be his disciples. That brings us to our second truth that Jesus wants to, to know, and that's this, how, how are we to do this? Well, in Jesus' speech there, he gives us three doing words, uh, three things that show us how we're to make disciples. I wonder if you saw what they were. They were to go, baptize, and to teach. That's how we're to make disciples. We're firstly to go. Now, going, going is the opposite of staying, isn't it? We're to get up and go. We're to be proactively on mission for Jesus. It's not about us sitting back and waiting for people to come to us and saying, hey, can you tell me about Jesus? No, we're to be proactive in this. And, you know, for some of us, that might mean going overseas like it did for Rob and Gillian. But for all of us, it means wherever God has placed us, we're to go. We're to go to our workplaces. We're to to go to our neighbours. We're to go to our university classes, to our schools to share the news of Jesus. I was reading some research by the 
uh, McCrindle Research Institute. You can Google this a bit later. And they uh, surveyed a large percentage of the New Zealand population about faith and life. And their research discovered that actually one in 10 Kiwis does not know a Christian. One in 10. That means in our streets, in our workplaces, there are people who have never heard the name of Jesus unless we go. There are people living ignorantly, just walking around with no idea of what you know, their future holds, no idea of the glorious news of Jesus. You know, this could be the people you live next door to. The person maybe you sit next to every day in the office. They might never have heard about Jesus. So the question is, are you going? Are you going and taking the good news of Jesus to them? Are you prepared? Are you prepared and proactive in thinking, actually, what would you say if someone asked you about Jesus? You know what, I reckon the best way, one of the best ways to to prepare yourself and to start is to just be thinking about your own story. Thinking about how has Jesus transformed and changed your life? At the very least, are you going to your neighbours, getting to know them? Are you going to the school gate, ready to chat with other parents? Do you go to your workplaces ready to engage and, you know, build genuine relationships that might lead to a conversation about Jesus? The second thing Jesus calls us to do in making disciples is to baptize people. Now, it's helpful to remember what baptism is. Baptism, the, you know, the sprinkling or dunking of someone in water isn't what makes someone a Christian. Baptism is the public declaration of the new life we have in Jesus. And it's a visible sign that we are a part of his family. We have the, the joy of baptizing people here at City on a Hill and welcoming them into God's family. And so if you're here today and you haven't been baptized yet, let us know. Write it on your comment card. We'd love to, to baptize and celebrate with you the new life you have in Jesus and that you're a part of his family. But the final thing Jesus calls us to do in making disciples, is to teach others. And what are, we, what are we to teach them? Well, have a look there with me again at verse 20. Jesus says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. How do we make disciples? We're to teach them everything Jesus said. Teach them to follow and obey it. We're to teach them not just to follow for a short time, but a lifetime. I remember as a primary school teacher, uh, one of the things I'd often say to the kids in my class is, you know, I want you to be lifelong learners. I remember sharing with them how actually that's something I wanted to be. As I grew older, I wanted to continue to be able to learn. And as disciples of Jesus, we want to be lifelong learners too. We want to continue learning and obeying and teaching others to learn and obey and follow Jesus. It's why at Sitting on Hill we're so serious about the Bible. It's why we spend time during the week in our community groups reading the Bible. It's why it's, it's so awesome and great when you meet up with someone one-on-one to read the Bible together. It's through the Bible we're taught to follow and obey Jesus. I wonder, can you remember who, who first taught you about Jesus? For me, it was my mum. She read the Bible to me each night. She prayed with me. She taught me what it was to trust and obey Jesus. 
But you know what? As I grew up, uh, as I owned my faith myself, it's not like that, that stopped. I didn't stop being taught by others. Even today, I still meet with friends who I've had for many years, uh, it, often online and even in person, and we'll read the Bible together. We'll answer each other's questions. We'll encourage each other to keep following and obeying Jesus. I wonder who are the people who've done that for you? But a deeper question, who are the people you're actively doing that with now? Who are you teaching and encouraging to obey and follow Jesus? See, Jesus is calling all of us to this mission. All of us are to be involved in making disciples. This isn't a job just for pastors. This is a job for all of us. We're to go to our world. We're to bring people into his family and we're to teach them to obey Jesus. The final thing he wants us to know about his mission, and I think it's the most important, is the why we're to do it. Why should we be on mission for him? What should be our motivation? I wonder, what would you say? I reckon for a lot of us, we've forgotten the why of mission. And in this passage today, there's some actually really helpful answers to it. Have a look at verse 9 with me. This is when Jesus meets the women. He says, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. And then down in verse 17, this is when he meets the disciples. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. What's the response of the women and the disciples to Jesus? They fall down in worship of him. The women and the disciples realize the greatness in their midst. They realize the risen Jesus is worthy of all praise and honor and glory. He is to be valued and prized most in their life. They fall down on their knees in worship of him. Here lies the reason where to be on mission for Jesus. We're to go and make disciples of Jesus because he is worthy of worship from everyone. David Foster Wallace is an American atheist and world-renowned writer, and he said this about the idea of worship. He said, everybody worships. The only choice you get is what to worship. And if it's anything less than God, it will eat you alive. It's a striking quote, isn't it? Our world says career, your family, your health, fill in the blank, whatever it is, those things are to be valued. Those things are to be the highest priority. Those things are to be worshipped in your life. But the reality is, all those things will never truly satisfy. They will take more than they give and it will never be enough. Jesus, he is worthy of worship. He is worthy of all our worship and honor and praise. And he's worthy of worship because he died and rose from the grave. He died to to save a broken and perishing world. He is worthy of worship because he is the author and sustainer of life. He is worthy of worship from his world because he created it. He is God. So when the name of Jesus is trodden through the mud, when he's not acknowledged for who he is, it should cut us to the heart. 
It should grieve us that he isn't given the worship that he deserves. Worship of Jesus is our motivation for mission. If we love Jesus, if we know who he is, we should want as many people to come and bow the knee in worship and honour and praise of him. We're to be on mission for Jesus because he is worth it. We should be on mission so his name is lifted high, so he gets all the glory. So in, clo- in closing, how, how are you going to respond to Jesus' words? Well, you know, for myself, I already shared, I find this, this hard. And so I take great comfort in Jesus' words at the end of our passage today. Did you see it there? After he's given he, these words to his titles, he says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What great words of comfort. That Jesus is with us on his mission. He doesn't leave us to do it alone. He gives us his Holy Spirit to empower us, to embolden us and to help us on this mission. So when you're feeling afraid or unsure of what to say, we need to remember Jesus is with us. We need to remember Jesus is worth it. We need to remember that Jesus uses imperfect people to take his mission to the world. Think about the disciples. These guys went from fear and running away from Jesus to going and making disciples of the whole world. Why did they do that? It's because the risen Jesus is worthy of worship from everyone. So let's be a church that grasps the greatness of Jesus and goes and takes his mission to the world. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he rose from the dead never to die again. Thank you that by his death we can be saved from death. Father, help us to live a life wanting to see his name glorified, honoured and worship as he deserves. Help us to go into our workplaces, to our neighbours, to our friends and our family with the great news of Jesus. Give us boldness and comfort, knowing we don't do this in our own strength or in our own power to change people, but we go in the powerful and awesome name of the risen Jesus. So, Father, we pray that many in Wellington will come to bow the knee to him and accept him as their Lord and Saviour. For his glory, in his name I pray. Amen.